Peter, we, we started uh, going through the book of First Peter, and uh, over the first few weeks that we were talking about uh, uh, Peter's letter to the church, we talked about uh, uh, there's so much that's contained just in this first chapter, it's amazing. Uh, but but we talked about uh, Peter talking about how number one he he opened his letter by saying praise be to God and, and number one that that should be the attitude of the church in general that our hearts should overflow with praise and everything that we do that our hearts should be directed towards God aiming to praise Him and thank Him for all that He has made available to us and he goes on to talk about that why should we be thankful and he talks about the living hope that is available to us it's not just a hope that is uh, Set aside, it's not something that's a hope that we just visit whenever we need it. It's a hope that is living and active within our lives. It's a hope that, that is constantly moving. If we submit ourselves to Christ, if we have our eyes fixed on Him, if we have the Spirit of God working in our life, if we have the Spirit of God dwelling in our life, that hope is constant and constantly changes, changing us and transforming us into uh, the image of God, the image of Christ to reflect his glory, but also to participate in the blessings that God has available to us. All the promises that God has available for his people are there. Every one of them are there right now. It's a matter of us choosing to step into those things. So the living hope is living right now. This isn't just a hope that we read about. It's not a hope that we just uh, uh, intellectually acknowledge, acknowledge as the church, but it is something that we choose to step into and experience on a daily basis. So we have a living hope, and he said we have an inheritance. It is an inheritance, the Bible says, that we are co-heirs with Christ. And then he goes on to talk about how uh, all of the things that he was talking about uh, uh, that are available to God's people now, the church, the people who are redeemed by the blood of Christ, all of those things, the prophets in the Old Testament would speak of these things and they searched intently to understand what they were saying. They searched to understand the blessing that was coming. They knew that something was coming, but they were searching to understand. And in the end of that, he says that the angels longed to see, to look into these things. The angels longed to look into these things. So he's talking about the salvation that is available to us. The, the prophets search to understand. The angels long to look into these things, what Christ is doing in his people, in the church. He's, they long to look into that, to understand that the Bible says, and I think it's Ephesians chapter 3, that uh, now through the church the manifold wisdom of God is being made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. So through the people that are sitting here, if you've been saved in Christ, the wisdom of God is being made known through you to those in the heavenly realms. That is an amazing thing to consider that it's not just this small thing uh, that, that somebody has been saved in Christ. That, that moment that we accept him and we can continue to walk in him, eternity is affected by that. Because that moment, those rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms look on and see this vile sinner who had no hope, who was dead. They see that and they see the manifold wisdom of God that would devise a plan that would redeem that vile sinner. And it affects eternity. Everything around us, the, the salvation that you have experienced is no small thing. I don't care what your position is in the church. I don't care if you're, if you're eventually a pastor who stands on stage, if you're the person who does music, or if you're the person that uh, does all the things behind the scenes that nobody ever sees. That salvation experience, no matter what people think of your position, the salvation that you've experienced affects eternity. Because... The angels long to look on and see 
what Christ has done, and the wisdom of God is made known through this. So, so Peter's talking about all these things, a living hope, an inheritance, uh, the prophets, angels, all these things, looking on to see. And then he gets to this moment where he kind of ties it together. In verse 13 is where we're going to start today. First uh, Peter 1, uh, starting in verse 13. But he, he gets to the point where this is, this is where he ties it all together. All these things are available to you. That's what he's saying, church. All these things are here for you. Living hope, the inheritance, all these things are setting before you. Now he says, therefore. So that's saying, here is what you do. Here is your responsibility. All of this is tied together, and here is how you should now act in light of what is set before you. So he says uh, in, in verse 13, he says, therefore, prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given to you when Jesus Christ is revealed. And I love how the King James Version uh, translated this. He said, uh, Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at this revelation of Jesus Christ. And that is not a common thing that we understand. You say to somebody, gird up the loins of your mind. That's not something that we necessarily understand in the day that we're living in. But in the moment when uh, Peter was writing this letter, he was talking to a culture where the people wore long robes, long kind of flowing robes. Uh, and that brought uh, a kind of a sense in, in that time in the culture that brought a sense of, of modesty. And also, uh, you know, it was kind of air flowing pretty well in a, in a you know, difficult climate where things were warm. Uh, so the, the, the robes that they wore were beneficial to them in a lot of ways. But when a lot of physical activity was required, they would get in the way. If they had to, to, to do some work, if they had a long journey, if they were going into battle, the long flowing robes would get in the way. So in that moment, he's saying, gird up the loins of your mind. He's referring to, he, he's using the imagery of the long flowing robes that they would use. And in that moment where it required, they were doing something that required more intense physical activity, they would tie up the loose ends of their robe to their belt. So when he's saying, gird up the loins of your mind, he's talking, he's using that image of a flowing uh, robe, and he's saying, pull up the loose ends and tie it to yourself, because you're going to be facing some action. That's what he's saying in that moment. And if you look back to the, the uh, NIV, he says, prepare your minds for action. So that's what he is saying is, uh, all of this stuff is set before you. The living hope inheritance, all of these things is here for you, therefore... We need to make sure that our minds are ready to lay hold of these things. Our minds are ready for the action that is going to take place. There is something that you are facing where you are going to have to labor, where you are going to have to walk, where you are going to have to journey. So take up the loose ends of your mind and tie it so that you can be free to walk, so that you can be free to, to lay hold of all that is available to you. So... Uh, what we have to understand first here in, in verse 13 is preparing our minds for action is that uh, walking, in, walking in and enjoying the blessings available to us in Christ requires effort. It requires our careful thought and intention. Uh, it requires us to actually be engaged and understand what is available to us and how we walk in that, how we move forward in that. Actually having a biblical worldview and understanding world, the world around us in light of the hope that is set before us. So we have to understand that uh, having an active mind is essential to the life of faith. 
Contrary to what a lot of people would tell you today, in the secular world, they think that faith is a blind faith, right? They think that having faith is something where you just sit back and accept things that you don't know. There are going to be things about God we don't know because he is so higher, so much higher than us, we can't fully understand everything, right? There are things that we, the Bible says that his ways are higher than, their, than our ways. There are things about him that we are not fully going to grasp on this side of eternity, but that never takes us to the place as Christians of removing our mind from the life of faith. A life of faith requires our thought. It requires our mind to be engaged, to use our reason, to use our intellect. All that God has given to man, it requires us to fix that on Christ and and to be able to pursue him with our mind. You see, we have to understand that our bodies can be present in many things, but that doesn't necessarily mean that we are present. Right? Our bodies can be in a place. That doesn't mean that we are present. Right? How many times have you ever gone home from work and you had a difficult day? You sat down to eat with your family, but you weren't there. You might have been doing all the physical things. You might have been sitting, filling a spot in a chair. You might have been filling your mouth with food, but your mind was a million miles away. So our bodies can physically be somewhere. Or I was years ago at... Uh, um, I think it was seven or eight years ago, my sister and I were in St. Louis, and we went to a, uh, to a baseball game. And I don't remember how much it cost at this point, but uh, it, it wasn't as cheap as Pittsburgh. Uh, and uh, so we were sitting there, and uh, you know, I just noticed at one point in the game, you look around, and all these people paid money for tickets to be at a game. Every single person around us had their face buried in a phone. Everybody. They paid all this money to, walk, to go to a baseball game, and they're sitting there on their phones, right? Nobody's watching the game. Uh, so they were physically there, but they weren't there. They were missing what was actually there, right? Uh, or or the, the simple fact is sometimes the church, we can be here. Our bodies can be here, but that doesn't mean that our mind is engaged. That doesn't mean that our mind is here engaging in what God has for us. Uh, or, or even with your spouse, you can fulfill duties, you can check off a list of things that they want you to do, right? But that doesn't mean that your mind is there in a loving way, in a sacrificially loving way directed towards your spouse, right? So the point is, our bodies can do a lot of things that our mind is not there for. So we have to make sure that our mind is engaged in all that we have available to us in Christ uh, we have to gird up the loins of our mind, tie up those loose ends. Uh, the Bible says that we are strangers in the land, that we, our citizenship is in heaven. So every moment that goes by, we are taking another step towards our home in Christ uh, and with him in, in, in eternity and in heaven. Uh, but as we walk through this, uh, this land, there is no shortage of peril. Right? As we walk through this land towards our final destination, there is no shortage of danger. There are no shortage of things that, that Satan has around every corner trying to trip you up. There are no shortages of holes for him uh, that he is kind of covered over, hoping that you'll step on it and fall in, right? There are no shortage of, of ways that Satan is trying to deceive uh, the people in this world and uh, the people that are, uh, the people of God that are walking towards him. So the point is that, that uh, I believe it says later in First Peter, it says that Satan is prowling around like a roaring lion looking for somebody to devour. So the point is that as we walk in, in this light towards Christ and we have all these blessings available to us, that we also have an enemy that desires to destroy you. 
He doesn't care who you are. He doesn't care who your kids are. He doesn't care who your family is. He doesn't care about that. All his desire is is to destroy. That's it. He doesn't care. You know, I thought about this uh, before, about uh, how, you know, so many times we don't take that very seriously in the church. How we don't take very seriously the fact that we have an enemy that, uh, that seeks to destroy us and devour us. And, uh, you know, one of the number one ways to, to uh, prepare ourselves, and we'll talk about this a little later, but preparing ourselves Sometimes we wait until we're confronted with the situation to start praying about it, right? Sometimes we wait until we're in the midst of chaos, and then we start thinking about, well, where are you at now, God? When what we need to do is exactly what the Scripture is saying, prepare your minds for action, knowing that I'm, I need to be prepared because I am going to face action, sometimes meaning the chaos of the enemy attacking. I know that's coming. So I'm preparing myself in advance, knowing that that is coming. Uh, and I've thought about that in terms of even, even our children sometimes, and, and uh, uh, knowing that the enemy desires to destroy them. Uh, or, or, you know, the Bible says that men should be spiritual leaders, right? That men should be leaders in the faith. Uh, I believe, and I, th- I think, well, I think a lot of times we neglect that responsibility. We'll just say that. But I've thought about that in terms of our family and, and uh, you know, even men as our responsibility. And, uh, you know, if, if, you were, if you were in your home one night and you heard somebody banging down the door and, you know, you... You knew it was somebody coming in to do something. Steal something or do something to your family. We would pull out all the stops to do something about it, right? We would do everything that we could. We would sacrifice ourselves. We would, we would do whatever we could in that moment. But how many times we know for a fact, the Bible says the enemy seeks to devour and to destroy. We know that. It's no secret. It's not like we're going to be sitting in bed one night awake and all of a sudden you hear banging on the door and there it is. We know it's coming. We know it's there. But how many times have we prepared ourselves in advance? How many times have we, have we covered our family in prayer? How many times have we covered our children in prayer? How many times have we covered our family in prayer? You see, when we neglect those things, it's no different than somebody banging on the door. No, they're coming in to do something. To harm your family, and we just kind of sit there. Well, hopefully he goes away. Hopefully nothing too bad happens. It's not any different. The point is that our minds should be actively engaged in our faith. Number one, set on the hope that is before us, knowing the blessings that are available to us and uh, all of mankind that would, that would come to know Christ. Knowing those things, but also knowing that there is an enemy who seeks to destroy uh, us, our families, our children, everyone around us. That is his goal. There's nothing, it's it's as simple as that. That's his goal. 
is essential then that we are prepared and tying up the loose ends in our minds so that we're ready for action. And how do we do that? First thing is uh, Ephesians 6, uh, verse 13. It says, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything to stand, stand firm then with a belt of truth buckled around your waist. And we talked about how they would pull up uh, the loose ends of their garment and they would tie it up with their belt. And Paul in this this passage is talking about that the, the belt that goes around you being the belt of truth. Now, I don't, I'm not sure that that has to apply to that in every moment. Uh, but the, the point is, how, how do we tie up the loose ends? We have the belt of truth that is around our waist. Now, if you go on in that passage, you will see that, uh, that, that the belt of truth isn't necessarily only talking about the truth of God as revealed in Scripture, and I'll explain that in a second. Uh, he goes on to talk in, in, I think it's verse 17, he says, take up the, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. So that's in the same passage. He's, he's, he's talking about the belt of truth and also this, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. So in some way, I think the belt is talking about uh, uh, also living a life of truth, which is is fully connected to the Word of God. I want to be able to explain this well. It's not separate from the Word of God, and I'll get to that in a second. It is fully connected to the Word of God. But there's another aspect of this, I think. Living a life of truth, I think having living a life of sincerity. And what I mean by that is sometimes we have a way of distorting truth for our own benefit. Sometimes we have a way of when we're confronted with something, we twist it just a little bit. So it might make me feel a little better, or it might not hurt my family as much. I'll give you one, hopefully. Uh, this isn't too much, but... Uh, you know, there there are people in the day that we live in where If they find out their kid did something wrong, it doesn't matter what their kid did, they will defend them. Uh, there are people that will... I, I, I'm not a teacher, but I guarantee you if you ask enough teachers, you would find teachers that have been ripped apart by parents who are defending their kids over something that is indefensible. Sometimes we do the same thing as adults. It doesn't matter what we did wrong. I'm going to defend it. I'm going to figure out a way why it's okay. The point I am getting at, you know, there, there, there are times we have to be, well, all the time, but we have to be so sincere in our evaluation of ourselves so that we can grow spiritually, so that we can live in light of the Word of God. That's, the Word of God is directly connected to that truth, but the point is living with sincerity. My sincere aim to understand myself in, in light of God and who He is and what He desires of me. We have to be honest with ourselves. I have seen situations where somebody has the same problem everywhere they go. Everywhere they go, they have the same problem. And it's everybody else's fault. Every time, it's somebody else's fault. That's where the sincerity of living a life of truth comes in and understanding, you know what? I have this problem everywhere I go. Maybe, maybe there's something in me that needs to change. 
And that hurts for a moment, doesn't it? When we're honest with ourselves and we have to say there's something in me that needs to change. That's why we're so reserved about it so many times because we don't want to be able to admit it to ourselves because it hurts. But that's the point, is having the belt of truth that's directly connected to the Word of God because that informs us of the truth that we should be living in, how to evaluate ourselves and all those things. But the life of sincerity that we would be able to honestly evaluate ourselves because my goal isn't to uh, protect my little kingdom. My goal isn't to protect myself, but my goal is to be uh, a servant of God, to take on the character of Christ, to be reformed and transformed into His image. The Bible says that we are transformed by the Spirit of God from one degree of glory to the next. But for that to happen, we have to be able to live a life of sincerity and integrity and being honest with ourselves. God's not going to take you from one degree of glory to the next if we can't even admit to ourselves when we're wrong. We have to be able to admit to ourselves when we're wrong and to others when we are wrong. There is no shame in saying, yeah, I messed up. There is no shame in that. So we have to live a life uh, of absolute, absolute sincerity. And I want you to understand again before we move on from that, that that is directly connected to the Word of God. The Word of God, as we pursue it, uh, fills our mind with understanding of what God has revealed about Himself and what He is, asks of us then in light of what He has revealed about Himself. The Bible says that the Son of God is the exact representation, the radiance of God. So when we look on Christ, we see that is what God is like. The Bible says we should have the same mind as Christ. So when we look on the Word of God, we see... Uh, what God desires of us in Christ. And we'll talk about that in a moment. I don't want to get too far ahead of myself. But then after girding up the loins, tying up the loose ends, uh, he says in, uh, it's in verse 13, uh, gird up the loins of your mind to be sober. Or the NIV says, prepare your, your minds for action and be self-controlled. Uh, that simply means that we need to keep our mind in its best condition. We wouldn't do anything that would cloud our judgment. Understanding again that we have an enemy that seeks to destroy you and he knows the best ways. He's been at this a long time. He knows how to lay out plans that would destroy people. Believe it or not, he knows what people are susceptible to. He knows what will drag people down. So what he is saying is as you have tied up the loose ends, then be sober. Not just, not just from you know, drunkenness and those kind of things. That's an aspect of it. But what he's saying is have your mind in a place where it is not clouded by things so that you can understand, so that you can make a sober judgment about the things that you are confronted with. Prepare yourself for action. The action is coming, but be sober. Have an unclouded mind so that when the action is there, you can properly evaluate things based on, again, the truth that you have growing within you through the Word of God and the Spirit of God making it alive within you. So be sober and self-controlled. And he goes on and says, uh, and fix your eyes, um, set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. And Colossians 3 says in verse 2, it says, set your mind on things above, not on earthly things, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. And the point of this is the motivation for all of these things to tie up 
the loose ends. To prepare ourselves for action and to be sober in our judgment of the things around us is because we have the hope that is set before us. That is our motivation. Understanding that the hope that we have before us is in light of the mercy of God. All these things. See, everything God is ties together in that hope. We have this hope set before us and we see, we see the justice of God. Because God was just and He would have had to have punished sin, but He did in Christ. So the hope that's set before me, I see the justice of God. The hope that is set before me, I see the holiness of God. I, I see His mercy, His grace, His love. All these things tie together in that hope. And I'm looking off seeing this God that is distant and unapproachable. He is beyond me, yet He has made a way for me to be in His presence. I see that in the hope. And that should motivate His people to be prepared to lay hold of that and walk towards it and to be sober in their judgment, all of these things. And to want to be uh, evaluate myself in truth whether it hurts or not to evaluate myself and say something needs to change, I do that because I know that I have this awesome opportunity to pursue God. There is nothing else that is worth more than that. Not me protecting myself, not me feeling good about myself. None of that is worth more than laying hold of that hope that is available to me. Uh, so then he goes on, he says, uh, in verse 14, he says, as, as obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. And I think uh, you know, sometimes I think that uh, people get pretty reserved when you start talking about holiness sometimes. People get sometimes upset when you start talking about holiness sometimes. You know, does God really expect that of people? We're always going to be sinners. We're always going to be this or that. We're always going to be human. The point of it, just in my observation, that statement, be holy for I am holy, is cast sometimes in our attitudes in such a negative light. Why would God put that burden on us? We might not say that, but sometimes our actions would prove that's what we are thinking. Like it's such a burdensome task. You understand there is nothing that is a burden in God making us to be holy. The call to holiness is not a burden. The call to holiness is not a matter of some slave master up in in the universe somewhere calling on people to do something that they can't possibly do. Now, I can't necessarily do that in myself, but the point is He has made a way for that to happen within us through the Spirit of God empowering us to overcome all of the things of the world. He has empowered us through the Spirit of God to be set apart. It's not, it, I mean, it takes my striving. It takes me preparing for action. It takes me focusing on, on God. It takes me choosing to be obedient. But the point is that the Spirit of God empowers me, again, to be transformed from one degree of glory to the next, to become holy in the image of Christ. It is the Spirit of God working in me, but I make myself available, a vessel for that to happen as I choose to be obedient. But the point is it's not a burdensome task. 
It's not God forcing us to something, a call that can never be fulfilled. The point is, the call to holiness is a call to freedom. The call to holiness is a call out of what you were to what God wants you to be, what you were intended to be in the first place. You understand there's no place that we can go as humans to experience as much freedom as you will find in living out the purpose you were created to to, uh, be made for. There is no place that you will find that freedom. You will find that as God changes you and makes you a holy vessel as He sets you apart for His purposes. That is where you will find freedom. You can go on striving the rest of your life after your own things, trying to make life work your own way. We can do that. But you will never, ever find freedom in that. You will find freedom. The call to holiness is not a call to to bondage or slavery. It is a call to freedom. So my point is we have to make sure when we even when we talk to people about holiness, it's not uh, you better be holy because God is holy. Yeah, that's the call. Absolutely. But here is a call to freedom. You can be holy because he is holy. He can make you holy. It's something you can do because we should want that, because we should want to look like God, because we should want to take on the character of Christ. We have to think about the subtle attitudes that we have sometimes, even in talking to people. Make sure that we're talking about holiness in terms of freedom and the blessings that God works in us to make us like Him and what we were created to be. We're called to be set apart for Him. That is essentially what this comes down to. There's more, there's more ways to explain it and talk about holiness. There's more facets of it. But simply, what God desires for you is an obedience to be set apart for Him and His purposes. We have uh, at home, uh, Christian has a pretty intense imagination. Uh, it's amazing what he comes up with. But uh, we went in uh, the living room one day and he had uh, one of our boxes from moving that he had cut out a bunch of stuff and made uh, like into kind of like a board game for dinosaurs and things. Uh, and it's amazing that he took this this uh, box that was used for so many things. It was used for moving. It was beat up. It was used for, I can't even imagine what all was in that through all the junk that we moved uh, <laughs> when we came here. Uh, but it's amazing in that moment he looked on that box and he took it and he set it apart for this purpose. That wasn't a box that was, sure, it was beat up at one point. It was used for this purpose of moving. But in that moment, he took that box and said, this is going to be for this purpose. This is going to be this game. And that's a, that's a small illustration to say uh, that the point is when God looks on us, uh, we might have allowed ourselves to be used for some other purpose at some point. We might be a box that's pretty rough around the edges, uh, that's had to be taped up a few times. It has been beat up. But the point is, when God looks on you and you give your heart to Christ, and you allow Him to be the pattern to which we conform uh, in life. He takes you and He says, "This you are now set apart for this purpose. You are set apart for My purposes. And again, that takes our obedience to stay in that place. 
But that's what God does, is He sets us apart for His holy purposes. Now, if that's something that we can't get excited about as the church, we might as well close the doors. The worship team is going to come up and and we're going to close uh, this morning. But uh, as we do that, we'll open the altars again today. And we've got to be able to ask ourselves hard questions as Christians. That's where, again, comes the honest evaluation of ourselves being able to honestly evaluate where we stand before God. When we come to the place where we honestly and sincerely sincerely lay ourselves before God and, and allow the Spirit of God to search us. Because uh, you understand that there is something different. God knows everything. He knows everything within our hearts. But there is something drastically different that happens when we sincerely lay ourselves out and say, I want you to search me. I'm not going to do a kicking and screaming. I'm not going to make you drag me, but I want you to search me. And even though it might hurt when you point something out, I want you to show me the things that hold me back from being set apart for you. So the altars are open for that today. If you would come, if you if you just simply have a desire for God to search you and understand what is contained in your heart, what God does, would desire to, to weed out of you to give you more and more freedom. The altars are also open today just if you're simply thankful for the opportunity to be holy. Again, understanding the altars are not just a place to come and deal with uh, things that need changed. That absolutely needs to happen here, but sometimes we need to use the altars just to be thankful. But ask yourselves the questions today. Is your mind prepared? Is our, are our minds prepared? Are there loose ends that need tied up? Are we living with self-control and sobriety? Clear thinking. Do we honestly evaluate ourselves in truth? Am I truly living in light of the hope that is before me? Do I consider the call to holiness a burden or a privilege? Do I even think about things spiritually? I love this. A.W. Tozer, one of my favorite uh, writers. But he prayed He prayed this in one of his books. He had a prayer. He said this. And, and I think this is at the heart of uh, somebody who truly desires to see God move and to search them. He said, O God, quicken the life every power within me that I may lay hold of eternal things. Open my eyes that I may see. Give me acute spiritual perception. Enable me to taste Thee and know that Thou art good. Make heaven more real to me than any earthly thing has ever been. And that should be the prayer today, that God would make heaven more real to us than any earthly thing has ever been. And in that, then, we understand the hope and what our hearts should be, uh, the way that our hearts should be transformed in order to reflect God's glory more and more.
The point of all of this is be prepared. Have a sober mind. Live in light of the hope and understand that holiness is freedom. Freedom in God. God, we thank you again today for the opportunity to worship you and to be together. And Father, for the truths that you have revealed through your word. Father, we pray today that you give us power through your spirit to be able to live according to your word, to pattern our lives after your son, to conform to his image through your spirit. Father, you would help us to truly understand the freedom that is available in you all of the things that we have within our reach, that it wouldn't just be theory or intellectual knowledge, but they would be promises that we truly trust and apply in every situation of life. Father, we love you today. Be glorified in us. It's your name we pray. Amen.